Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. The Lord is moving and speaking because as we were worshiping, I, uh, sorry for that loud sniff. Um, <laughs> um, I, I was going to hit on what she did because I felt the Holy Spirit say there's people that have walked in here today that are feeling oppressed and feeling a heaviness and feeling like they just can't quite pick themselves up. And I was going to pray exactly what she did because we can do that, right? You don't, you don't have to stay under when God is above. He's higher than everything. He's higher than any depression. He's higher than any sadness. The scripture talks about why, why are we downcast? We've got a big God. So we're kicking off our series in Colossians today. And so I'm going to be preaching out of chapter one, but God is so big and so vast that he kind of took me to some other places in the Bible. Um, Because, you know, scripture interprets scripture, so we can use it all. So let's pray before we get started. Lord, thank you that you're with us today, and you never leave us. Thank you that you are a God who leads us um, into freedom. And Lord, I pray that this word would do just that today, that it would bring freedom in the name of Jesus. Have you ever followed a program, like a workout program or a diet program, maybe even like a a self-help program, and probably most of us have at some point, and the goal of these types of programs is to see some sort of transformation, right? Whether it's physical, emotional, financial, but in order to see the transformation, you have to follow the program, right? And then these types of programs usually have a course of action that you take. And if you stay in it and you keep focused and you follow it, you'll see results. You'll have success. But the problem is many people don't stick with it. They, they see some changes in the beginning. They might see some results. But then it starts to get hard. And so they stop persisting. And then all the old stuff starts to creep back in, the old habits, the wrong way of thinking, bad choices. And that's kind of what was happening at the church in Coloss. So Paul had written this letter to the Colossians in order to encourage them in their faith because apparently they weren't sticking to the program. They started strong. You know, they were seeing changes. They were walking in freedom. But then they stopped being persistent. There were some false teachings that were starting to creep into the church. So Paul wanted to remind them of the truth. And it's things we need reminded of. See, I feel like if we're not continually filling ourselves up every single day, every minute of the day with God's truth, either by being in his word or by bringing his word to mind, then you guys, lies will creep in. And they'll start taking hold in our lives and we won't even be aware of it. So Paul says this in uh, Colossians 1, verse 6. He says, The same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. 
It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. He's reminding them, hey, guys, you were changed, remember? And it's true for us. There's a change that happens when you put your faith in Jesus. If you believe in him and you believe that he saved you because you're a sinner and you can't save yourself, right there in that moment, something happened. You became a child of God. Maybe you didn't, like, feel something physically happen, but in the spiritual realm, there was a shift. You went from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You stepped off the path that leads to hell and onto the path that leads to eternity in heaven. And you got, when, when people get saved by the power of the gospel, gospel, that's a big deal. That's a powerful thing. But the change part is what I want to talk about. Because for a lot of people, their eternity has changed. But what about right now? What about this life right now? What changes have taken place and are taking place in your life that are evidence that you're a child of God? Whether you were saved when you were five or or 95, you should see continual spiritual growth in your life. But for many of us, that's not the case. Because many Christians are saved, but they're not being sanctified. Ooh, I said a big Bible word, right? I mean, really, we're so scared of, of certain words or things that the Bible teaches, and we shouldn't be. This is something we should talk about a lot, and it's simple. Sanctification means to make holy. But let's clarify something about that word, holy, because I think this word's gotten a bad rap. And I have some pictures, so maybe it's because I grew up Catholic, but this is what pops in my head when I hear the word holy. For real, even now, today, this is what I think of. But this is not what represents holiness. There's only one standard, one person we need to look to for holiness, and that's Jesus. And he's a cool dude to follow for that, you guys. Jesus went into the temple and started just flipping furniture over out of righteous anger. That's holiness. Jesus rebuked the religious people. That's holiness. Jesus cast out demons. He wasn't offended by people drinking wine. In fact, he went to a party and changed water into wine. That's holiness. So being holy does not mean being boring. It simply means to be set apart. It means you're no longer living by the standards of the world. You're living by God's standards because you belong to him. John 17, 17 says this, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And then another version says, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. There's no way around it. God's word is truth. We're sanctified. We're made holy. We're changed by his word. So if you're not seeing the spiritual growth you want to see in your life, I would guess you're not spending much time, if any time, in the word of God. And that's really sad because God did not save you to leave you the same. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, So all of us who who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. 
See, God wants you to reflect who he is. And every single thing that has ever happened to you and will ever happen to you in your life, God will use it to transform you if you let him. But you know what? The world will also use it to transform you if you let it. And the times we're living in, you guys, the pull of the world is so strong. And we need to ask ourselves, is the world speaking louder than the word in my life? Because if it is, we've got it backwards. We're supposed to be set apart. That does not mean you're supposed to be perfect. It's not what we're talking about. There's just supposed to be something different, something that doesn't quite fit in with the world. But yet Christians are just as consumed with sin. You know, instead of us controlling and dealing with the sin in our lives, it's controlling us. Christians are just as unhappy, depressed, grumpy, stressed out, full of worry and fear as the world is. And we just keep walking around in these circles. And why? Why does it seem so hard to get breakthrough, so hard to really change? It's because we aren't following the program. Or we might follow it for a little while, but then it gets tough, so we give up. And Paul didn't want to see this happen at the church in Coloss. So he says this in verse 9. He says, So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. Man, what a good meaty verse. And the part where it says, all the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. This is saying that your spiritual growth depends on learning to know God. And as we learn to know him, we will honor and please him. We'll produce every kind of good fruit. That's quite a promise. And then it tells us three things that will help us to get to that point, that will help our growth, that will change us, that will sanctify us. And let's break it down. Number one, knowledge of God's will. Number two, spiritual wisdom. Number three, understanding. So how many of you feel like you've got... Um, a good grasp on what, you know, God's will is for your life. You've got knowledge of God's will. How many of you even think about what God's will might be for your life? And if you don't know, well, a great starting point to find out would be to go to God's word. Because there's a lot of stuff in God's word regarding what his will is that's pretty black and white. For Hello? There we go. Sorry. For instance... Sex outside of marriage. God's will is for sex to be within the boundaries of marriage. No questions asked. No excuses. But people who are having sex with someone they aren't married to question why they're not hearing God in other areas of their life or they're not seeing breakthrough in certain things they want to see breakthrough. And then there's things that might not be so obvious, like maybe you're disrespectful to your husband all the time. Maybe you're a husband that isn't loving your wife well. Maybe you're someone who you're not patient with anything ever. You know, you're one of those people you've gotten into this habit of, you know, you're one of those people that, is Taylor in here? 
like the slow person in front of you, you're just like so mad and yelling at the poor old lady in front of you. And it kind of is funny, but you guys, this is the stuff God wants to change. These are the things God wants to um, glorify him. Yelling at the old people in front of you doesn't glorify him. Being patient would glorify him. We have to be pliable in his hands if we want to grow. Because when we resist the conviction of the Holy Spirit, his voice will get quieter and quieter over time. And we'll start saying things like this. Man, I've been really praying about this and asking God for direction, but I'm not hearing his voice. I'm just, I'm not getting any answers. Well, it's probably because you haven't listened to him in the things he's already telling you. If you want to grow, if you want to hear God and know him better and have knowledge of his will, you got to listen to what he's already telling you. We need to follow his program. And conviction is part of the program. God uses conviction to change us, but the problem is we allow our own voice to speak louder than the Holy Spirit. I mean, if you're being convicted of something, but you're not listening and taking some steps to change that behavior, why are you expecting to, to hear God in other areas of your life or to have breakthrough in other areas of your life? It's like this. If you joined Weight Watchers, but you didn't stick to their program, you didn't do what the program said to do, would you expect results? Because just because you signed up doesn't mean you'll experience the benefits of the program. There's a course of action that you have to take to get the results. Okay, moving on. Spiritual wisdom. How many of you feel like you have spiritual wisdom? And this is the wisdom that is from above. It's from, directly from God. It is a supernatural thing. James, the book of James talks about wisdom. In James 1.5, he says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. That's a promise. You just have to ask God and he will give you wisdom. James 3.17 tells us about what wisdom is, and this is really cool. He says, but the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. The part that jumped out at me, though, in this verse is where it says willing to yield to others. Because I was thinking, man, look around. We're living in a time where there is not much humility or yielding to anybody, including God. Everybody wants their own way in their own time. Everybody wants to be the star of their own show. There's no yielding. We plow through other people to get what we want sometimes. And that's the opposite of what wisdom would be producing in your life. Okay, and then number three, understanding. So the Greek word for understanding here in this verse is the word nous. I don't know if I said it right, but it's N-O-U-S. And it means receiving God's thoughts through faith. How cool is that? God will actually give you his own thoughts about things. It's part of his program. How would you like to have God's perspective on some things in your life instead of your own overthinking, overanalyzing every detail, full of worry, full of fear perspective? I'd like to have his perspective. And you know that saying, um, and it might be an old-timey saying, but I remember it growing up a lot. My parents would say it. But that saying, get with the program. <laughs> you know, get with the program. And it means do what you know needs to be done 
to win. Don't you think we'd have a better handle on this life if we got with God's program? We'd walk in so much more peace. As Christians, these are the things we should be hungry for and asking God for, but we're complacent. We are way too comfortable where we're at, you guys. So we don't even think to ask God for more. And I'm not just talking about tangible things. I'm also talking about the spiritual, supernatural gifts that God has to offer us. But we are numbing ourselves. We've saturated our lives and our minds with all sorts of things that have zero value, that have no meaning. I mean, we don't have time to read God's word. We're too busy with other stuff. We don't have time to pray. We don't have time to get to know who he is. And let me tell you, that is exactly where the enemy wants you. And he wants to keep you there because he knows what's at stake. The devil knows that if you start to wake up and you get with the program, you're going to start stepping on his territory. And the devil has got a lot of things that belong to you and me. And there are things that he never wants you to take hold of. See, because once you start taking the things that belong to you, for instance, joy, peace, courage, power, authority, he won't stand a chance. So he's got his boundaries well protected. But see, there's no boundaries with God. God has called us to take what is ours. God has set no boundaries for what you can accomplish through him. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We're the ones who draw the line. We're the ones who set up our own boundaries. We draw a line when we ignore sin in our lives. We draw a line when we um, are complacent when it comes to pursuing the Lord. We draw a line with fear and with doubt. And those things aren't part of the program. We're not going to see results when we're constantly drawing lines in our lives and limiting God. Okay, moving on. Colossians verse 11. We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. Okay, when we're strengthened by God's power, it gives us endurance. We need endurance to live this life, you guys, to battle the enemy. Because there's a lot of stuff that's going to try to throw you off track, to try to throw you off the program. And you know what? The more times we get knocked off the track, it, it gets harder and harder to find your way back. And then we wander around, never experiencing the things of God, never taking what is ours. We need endurance to be Christians who overcome. And it got me to thinking about, like, the Olympics. How does an Olympian become an Olympian? Number one, they follow a program. They do what they know needs to be done in order to win. But it's not perfection, because I guarantee you there's other swimmers, other runners or whatever, that are just as fast, just as skilled. No, it's because the ones that get there have endurance. And persistence is what developed the endurance. Persistence means continuing firmly in a course of action in spite of difficulty or opposition. Continuing firmly in a course of action. Our course of action is right here. 
in these pages. The word of God lays out our course. And when you're using it to navigate your entire life, you won't give up. You will persist no matter what this life is throwing at you because your eyes are going to be on Jesus. You're going to keep putting one foot in front of the other and following where he's leading you. And you're going to stay with the program. And that's where we need to be because you know what? God wants to lead us into some amazing experiences in our lives. But there's a program to follow that has a course of action. And guess what? It's your responsibility to take the action. Verse 12 says this. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people. See, Paul knew that the Colossians were becoming complacent and that in doing so, they would forfeit their inheritance. They would forfeit the promises of God if they stop following the program. In the Greek, the word enabled means to give strength to. God has given us strength to receive our inheritance. Now, why would we need strength? It's because we need strength to endure difficult things. And guys, sometimes the course of action involves a battle. Sometimes you have to fight for what is yours. And what is yours? What is your inheritance? Where is God trying to lead you? Well, what if I said, heaven is your inheritance? Once you get through this evil-ridden, really difficult life, and you finally succumb to what may or may not be a horrible death, you will finally then have your inheritance. Does that encourage you? It does not encourage me at all. And I'm not diminishing the promise of heaven. I want to go there. I'm excited to go there. See my family and friends who are there. It's going to be great. The promise of heaven gives us hope. But as believers, we have an inheritance right here, right now. Psalm 27, 13, David says, I am confident I will see the goodness of the Lord while I am here in the land of the living. Right here, right now, we can experience the goodness and the promises of God. There's promises that God has made you, that he has made me. But if you're not persisting in your relationship with God, getting to know who he is by his word, you won't even know what your inheritance is. You won't even know what promises are yours to claim. And I'm not going to list all God's promises. They're too vast. I want you to seek them out and search them out in his word. But we said one of them earlier, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Jesus will strengthen you in all things. That's quite a promise. So here's all these promises that as children of God are ours, that we can claim, but we don't. Because we don't have the knowledge, we don't have the spiritual wisdom, and we don't have the understanding. Because we are not following the program. And don't feel bad because there's grace. God is a God of grace. And it's not the first time that his people didn't follow his program. So let's take a look at the Israelites. God delivered the Israelites out of Egypt, delivered them out of the hands of Pharaoh. And most of us know the story, right? God did some crazy, ridiculous, powerful miracles right in front of their eyes. But they still struggled with unbelief and disobedience. That's why they spent 40 years wandering the desert. But that's us. 
We come out of Egypt. God saves us. We're delivered from sin and death. And all the power and resources of heaven are ours through Christ. But we walk around like we have nothing. We're defeated instead of walking in the victory that Jesus bought for us at the cross. And if you were here for Phil's message two weeks ago, he talked about how sometimes there's work we have to do in order to step into the promises of God. He talked about how sometimes there might be a period of waiting, but it's what we do in the waiting that matters. We still have to follow the program. There's still action on our part as we wait on God. We have to continue to be in his word. We have to speak his promises over our lives. Use the word of God to battle the enemy. Because you know what? God is not a liar. If he says something, then it's true. If he says, I came to you so you could have life and have it abundantly, that's true. If he says, ask anything in my name and it will be given to you, that is true. If he says you have authority over demons, it's true. But most of the time, we're not applying his word to our lives because we don't know it. And other times, we just give up. You know, we might pray about something for a little bit. We seek God for a little while. But then we don't get the answer we want in the time that we want. So we give up. And then we start questioning if what God said is even true. But hear me, the problem is never with the promise, it's with persistence, staying with the program. And here's a good example of that. It's Matthew 17, 14 through 20. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Jesus looks at the disciples and he says, you unbelieving and perverse generation. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed at that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Okay, was Jesus actually telling them that their faith was smaller than a mustard seed? Because casting out demons was not something new for the disciples. They'd already been doing that. So what was Jesus actually saying? Well, the Greek word... It's so good to look at Greek and Hebrew, you guys, when you're reading scripture. The Greek word for little, because you have so little faith, is the Greek word oligos, and it means brief. Jesus is talking about the duration of their faith. Their faith was not too small. They had enough faith. They just didn't stay in there long enough. They gave up too easily. They didn't persist. See, persistence will get you to the promise. The promises are there. The promises are yours. But you have to be willing to stick to the program. You have to be willing to stick to the course of action that God has given you. But God will not force you to do that. Just like he couldn't force the Israelites to go and take all the territory that he had promised them. See, God had promised them a, a rich and bountiful land, right? The promised land. 
a place where they would flourish and be victorious in everything. But there was a condition. They had to move. They had to work. And they had to fight the enemy in order to take what was theirs. And they did to a, to a certain degree. They did, kind of. After Moses died, Joshua is the one who led the Israelites into the promised land. And they went up against some pretty powerful enemies. But they were victorious because God promised they would be. But here's where it gets interesting. The Israelites stopped fighting for what was theirs. They stopped persisting. They became complacent. Here's a definition I found for complacent. Feeling so satisfied with your own abilities or situation that you feel you don't need to try any harder. I'm going to read that one more time. Feeling so satisfied with your own abilities or situation that you feel you don't need to try any harder. This is where the Israelites were. They became satisfied with less when God had more. They became satisfied with a portion when God had promised the whole entire thing. Joshua 13, 1 through 2, says, When Joshua was an old man, the Lord said to him, You are growing old, and much land remains to be conquered. This is the territory that remains. And then in Scripture, God goes on to list all this unconquered territory. But this is the really exciting part. Verses 6 and 7. He says, I myself will drive these people out of the land ahead of the Israelites. So be sure to give this land to Israel as a special possession, just as I have commanded you. Include all this territory as Israel's possession when you divide it. What? Wait a minute here. God is telling Joshua, go ahead and divide even the unconquered land among the tribes. Why would he say that? Because he's a God who fulfills his promises. The land was theirs. They just had to go and take it. God said, I myself will drive these people out of the land ahead of the Israelites. So there's a key phrase here, ahead of the Israelites. There was one condition. The Israelites had to move, and then God would drive the enemies out ahead of them. The Israelites had to go up against the enemy in order for God to drive out the enemy. And this applies to us today, you guys. Are you wondering why you're not seeing victory in certain sins in your life? Are you wondering why you're struggling with the same types of negative or destructive, you know, behaviors and emotions over and over again? Do you feel like you have no power that you're not walking in victory, you feel like you have no authority as a Christian? Well, let me ask you this. Have you taken up your sword? Have you taken any steps towards the enemy to take back what is yours and to hold true to the promises of God? Because there's work to be done. There's steps to be taken. Because there's a lot of land to be possessed, you guys. There's a lot of promises that you still have yet to claim as yours. You know, maybe you've come out of Egypt. You've said, I believe, you know, God has set me free now. I'm no longer a slave to sin. And that's great. That's powerful. So you've come out of Egypt, but where are you now? Are you still wandering the desert, waiting for the promised land to come to you? Or maybe you're a Christian who's become complacent. You've stopped moving. You haven't stuck with the program. 
You become satisfied with a portion instead of all that God has for you. Joshua 18.3 says, um, Joshua is talking to the Israelites here, and he says, how long are you going to wait before taking possession of the remaining land the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has given to you? That's a really good question. How long are you going to wait? I say today, let's make a decision today that it stops here. We're going to get back on the program. We're going to get with the program. We're going to start taking the course of action that God has laid out in front of us in order to step into the promises that he has for us, to receive our inheritance. And how do we do that? I want to give you guys an example of what that might look like to step into the promises of God. So I want to share this story. Blake and I were talking a few days ago, and she was sharing with me that when Isaac is gone especially, she has a hard time sleeping because she's scared, and I get it. You know, you're in the house all by yourself. It's dark. Every single noise you hear, you think, is that someone breaking in? Am I going to get murdered? You know, and then you're like laying, and I've done it, laying in your bed out of the corner of your eye. You're thinking, I'm, I, was that a shadow? At any moment, I'm going to see somebody coming in. And it's terrible. It's horrible. It's oppressive. It's dark. And we were talking about it, and we're like, wait a minute. It's the enemy. That is the enemy coming to steal your peace, to steal your rest, to steal the promises of God. But I love it because she decided, you know what? Mm -mm, no more. Not going to do this anymore. She decided to get with the program. She decided, I'm going to take a course of action. And she texted me yesterday, and she said, I slept straight through the night the last two nights. I don't even do that when Isaac's home. And I'm like, yes, thank you, Jesus. You are resting in his promise of peace. And she said, you would have been fist pumping the air if you heard me before bed. I'd hear something or see a shadow and perk up and just start talking. Nope, not doing this tonight in the name of Jesus. Yes, thank you, Lord. See, she took a step towards the enemy, so God drove out the enemy, and she was able to step into the promise. Now, she'll have to keep persisting because the enemy doesn't stop. He's going to keep trying to throw that stuff at her like he does with all of us, but you got to persist. And if you're persisting, you're going to be in the promise. So as we're closing out here with this last song, you guys, I, I want everyone to come forward. I want everyone to take a physical step to show the Lord, Lord, I am ready for more. I am ready to step into your promises. This is my course of action. I'm taking it today. I'm coming forward, Lord. I want you to move in my life. I want you to lead me. I want to lay hold of your promises. I want my inheritance, and I want it now while I'm in the land of the living. So I want everybody to come forward. Lift your hands. Lift your hands to the God who fulfills his promises.